The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, folks? Wayne Kirkpatrick is our guest. He's a songwriter and musician. Talk about versatile. He's written in the styles of pop, contemporary Christian, country, and for the musical theater world. He's been called a songwriter's songwriter, and his songs have been recorded by a long list of artists. Just to name a few, Joe Cocker, Amy Grant, Kathy Matea, Garth Brooks, Bonnie Raitt, Faith Hill, Joe Cocker, Michael W. Smith, Eric Clapton. We could keep on going. Wayne Kirkpatrick is also a record producer, and he's recorded his own work. He is the co-creator and co-composer of the musical Something Rotten. Well, sir, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, great to be here. How are you? You're in Nashville at the moment? Yes, I live in Nashville, yes. Doing well? Yeah, staying busy. So what is occupying your time at the moment? At the moment, I am working on an animated movie writing some songs for, uh, it's a, a movie for Warner, Warner Brothers called Smallfoot that is coming out in September. And my brother is directing it, and so I'm working on songs for that. And on the front end of uh, toying with another musical. Would you say that this world of writing for characters, like in this cartoon... And the theater, is that more in your wheelhouse than writing songs that are recorded by recording artists? Um, no, I wouldn't say that it is more in my wheel or was more in my wheelhouse, but it's um, becoming more and more that. But um, I did. Uh, it, it's also kind of a, a full circle moment for me as well. Um, because I started when I was in high school, I was in theater. I went to a, a magnet school and I grew up in a uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I went to a magnet school. And so you had to, you know, maintain a grade point average and you had to declare a major and, and my major was theater. So I was in musicals, uh, in plays and musicals all through high school. And and then when I left high school, I, I pursued the commercial songwriting aspect of it. And um, so so coming back around and doing theater again, I just I kind of feel like I've just kind of made a full circle, you know, back into that world. So to say it was in my to say it was in my wheelhouse, I wouldn't go that far, um, except for that I've always loved music theater. It, it's different to to watch it and observe it and love it it's different than it is to write it you know so um getting even though i came back into it and um came with a certain skill set of writing songs there was still a learning curve of of actually taking that and applying it to theater and to character and story and all of that so it's a learning process but uh getting getting better at it people wouldn't necessarily think of nashville for being a place with musical theater. I mean, they have a Broadway. <laughs> but, uh, right. <laughs> is there a community there of musical theater people? Well, there are, but oddly enough, 
I didn't I didn't really truly discover it until after I had done theater in New York. Hmm. Uh, so I wasn't. Uh, I mean, I was aware. You know, there's the there's Tennessee Performing Arts Center, which is the big where where the um you know the big the Broadway series shows come, and then there's a a uh, local theater production company called Studio Ten T E N N that does great local productions, and um and then there's some other there's Tennessee Rep, and then Bug Theater, which is a children's theater, and some other some other uh theater uh, groups around town that I was vaguely aware of, but, but I wouldn't, I wasn't involved with at all. And, um, once I started doing theater in New York and then came back to Nashville after that, I, I became more connected with people in that world and became more aware of, of just exactly what was going on in Nashville theater wise on a more um, intimate level. And, and it's a, it's an area, there's a, there's a great a love of theater in Nashville, but I would say that the, uh, the Nashville, the theater community in general is still, it's kind of on the front. It's, it's growing. It continues to grow. People wouldn't think of Nashville as a theater town yet, but I think there are people that are working on making that more, of a reality, you know. Something you hear from a lot of people in the world of songwriting for country music is how competitive it is. Uh-huh. Would you say that the musical theater world is as competitive? Sure. I, I think I think all of it is inherently competitive just be just I mean sometimes competitive sounds like a like a cutthroat vicious type of word to use, but it's not really, I mean, it's competitive by just the nature of, of what you're doing. You know, there are a lot of people that are, that are great writers and great performers and, uh, great producers. And, and, and so you're just, um, you're just competing with trying to find your way in to all of that or try to create something that can compete with all of the other great stuff that's out there you know so it's just naturally competitive at the same time or i can say this at least for nashville and also the new york theater community it's also within its competitiveness it's it's very supportive as well so um you know i know in nashville when when something great or big happens for someone the rest of the community really cheers them on you know and it's is it's a it's kind of a dual you're excited for them and then you also have that oh man i wish that could happen to me too you know so so it, i think it's in a lot of time a lot my experience it's competitive in the um in the nicest way possible <laughs> you know how important do you think it is for a songwriter to have almost like a service oriented attitude service oriented in terms of serving other people, you mean? Or, well, I don't know. There, uh, I think that varies from situation to situation. But um, you know, you. I think if anything that that you should that you feel in service to, it's it's the the song itself, you know, or the show. If if it's in the case of theater, you know, you're in service of the. Um, the the piece that you are trying to create 
you know. And then, of course, ultimately, that that piece that you're trying to create is going out and you're hoping that it appeals to a large group of people. So you're in, in service of the audience as well. And, but there's also, there's a, there's a selfish side to, to creating as well. You know, it's a, it, it's, it's self-serving as well as it is, you know, public serving again, dualities, dualities in all aspects of this business, I suppose. We're talking with songwriter Wayne Kirkpatrick. I want to go back a little bit. Tell us a little bit about where you were born and where you were brought up. Okay, well, I was um, I was actually born in Greenville, Mississippi, but I was not. I'm not from Mississippi. I I didn't live there. It was um, so I really grew up in Louisiana uh, when I was when I was really young. I was in um, uh, two different places: Monroe, Louisiana. And then Alexandria, Louisiana, which are in the you know middle mid central Louisiana. And then uh, the summer before I went into high school, I moved to Baton Rouge, in South Louisiana, and really uh, you know grew up and, and lived there until I moved to Nashville. So my my roots are are in Louisiana, and I consider myself a Louisiana native. Did that at all give you a kinship or a commonality with the songwriter Gordon Kennedy? Uh, we didn't discover, I didn't discover his Louisiana connections until after we had gotten to know each other. But, but, and, and Gordon, I mean, Gordon grew up in Nashville. He's a, he's a Nashville native, really, but his family is from Louisiana and from, from Shreveport, which is North Louisiana, and which I had some relatives that lived up there. So we definitely had that, um, we had some sort of connection that way. In fact, my, my wife, who is, uh, really into, uh, genealogy, you know, she does a lot of genealogy research. And in her research, she found through a really long, really distant line that somehow that her and Gordon are actually related <laughs> in some weird kind of way. So we got a kick out of that. And that was through a, um, my wife's from Louisiana too. So through some sort of Louisiana connection, she found a, um, some sort of distant relative. So I thought that was interesting. So what was it that enticed you? What did you want to do when you came to Nashville? I thought I wanted to be a singer songwriter, you know, I wrote, I wrote songs all through high school and I would perform them and, you know, me and my guitar and, and I came to Nashville thinking that that's what I wanted to do. And, and then there was a point where I, I was actually given the opportunity to, to possibly pursue that. And by that time, I really found that my I, I knew that if I wholeheartedly pursued the the artist route, then uh, there was a part of me that was like, you know, I can write songs all day, every day of so songs that I would sing myself. But the challenge to me was, can I write something that somebody else would want to sing? You know, and and so I I felt like at, at that point, it's like I think I want to focus on developing the craft of songwriting more than I wanted to develop the craft of, of an artistry, you know, so a recording artist. So, 
so that you know that that was over the, the span of uh, two or three years where I kind of landed on that it's like the the thought of writing something that somebody else would want to record was really uh, appealing to me and a challenge to me and so that's that's the route I took and then years years later I as a pet project I, I made my own album you know but it was it was more of a labor of love and it was not intended or expected to be anything other than what it was you know the fact that it was just a labor of love did it remove any kind of pressure yeah a lot of pressure because i was a lot of a lot of it was came out of there were there were a lot of songs that i wrote that um I just knew, okay, no one else is ever going to record these, or I, or I thought so. No one else is going to record these, but I would, you know. So it was kind of a gathering songs over the years that kind of helped define if I was going to um, be a recording artist or, or kind of fulfilling that fantasy of, you know, being a recording artist for a for a few months. So it, it was, I wasn't really because I wasn't expecting to be uh, some sort of uh, commercially successful recording artist or anything like that, it was just, I'm just going to do songs that, that move me on some level, you know, and just, just, just do what I want to do. And fortunately I had um, a record label uh, who, a friend of mine that ran the label that, that allowed me to do that and supported that, you know, so it was kind of the perfect um, situation to be in. And, and there was, yeah, there was no pressure at all. So who was the first recording artist to record a song that you either wrote or co-wrote? The very first artist, a song that I had recorded was a, an artist, a Christian artist named Billy Spray. And I wrote a song, I had started a song called What A Way To Go. And I got together with him. He was doing his first album. And I got together with him, showed him that idea, and then we finished it together. And that was the first song I had recorded. And then the 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 next two songs after that that I had recorded were on an Amy Grant unguarded album, a song called Wise Up and a song called Love of Another Kind. And then those were the uh, kind of the the first big cut. You know, the, she was a significant artist at the time and having a cut on her record was a felt like a big deal at the time, you know so and then that that's what kind of started me on my path what was it like when you found out amy grant was going to record those songs well i felt like i on the songwriter i think you know uh at that time that was that was in the mid 80s and especially in christian music the having a a song on an Amy Grant record that was about as big as you could get, you know, for a songwriter. So I was pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty excited <laughs> that that uh, that that was was happening, and not and that uh, not only one but two songs were being recorded by her, and and it was a little bit of a I will believe it when I see it, you know, but you know. It happened, and uh, it was it was such a, a pivotal moment in the lives of in, in the life of a songwriter, especially a, a a very young songwriter, to get something recorded on with an artist of that 
stature really legitimizes you and validates you as a songwriter. It's a, it's a really great calling card and, and a door opener. So I was extremely excited about that. When you have a certain song that you have recorded a demo for and you have it in your mind, oh gosh, this would be perfect for this artist. Mm-hmm. How does one go about trying to at least get that song heard by that artist or a producer of that artist? Well, you know, if you're with a, if you're signed with a publisher, then, uh, you know, then they have the avenues, the places to send that song to, to hopefully get it listened to, whether it's the record label, you know, that the A&R uh, person at a record label or the producer or the manager, you know, there are several different, different, avenues of to, to try to get your song listened to the artists themselves or if you know them so ha, being with a publisher helps if you don't have those relationships yourself of course the longer you're around and in in the business you, you start making those contacts and then you can might you can go directly to the producer yourself or the manager or or whatever it is, are in a lot of cases, and the reason it's done a lot is writing, you know, writing with the artist themselves, you know. But if it's an existing song and you have a relationship with the artist, you can say, hey, I've got something I want you to listen to, and they're usually receptive to that. Usually they're, if they're not writers themselves or that they're collaborators, they're, when they start looking for material for their their album, they're they're asking you know, hey, if you've got anything, we're looking, you know, so, but, but several ways, it's, it's a lot harder if you're not locked into, you know, with a publisher or, or if you're just starting out, you know, trying to kind of break through that door, it's, it's a lot harder. But once you break through it, it gets, and, and like I said, if you're legitimized and validated for, because you've, you've got a resume, you know, because you've got, had songs on other records, then it makes it, easier to get access to those people. What would you say would be a performance or a recording of a song that you wrote or co-wrote that surprised you? Well, uh, you know, those uh, early on, I mean, the, the song like uh, uh, Wise Up that was on the Amy Grant record, Wise Up and Love of Another Kind, those were... Um, those were kind of wow moments for me, not only because they were some of my first songs to be recorded, but you know the the demos were so rudimentary uh, compared to what they became when Brown Bannister, who was the producer, and, and what they did with it. You know, there's a certain certain aspect of it was like, wow, I wrote that. <laughs> that sounds a lot better than what I did. You know. And then uh, flash forward to I would say the first time I heard "Change the World." I was uh, actually the first time I heard it. I thought, "Wow, that that sounds really great." I can't imagine how it would work on the radio, but it sounds really great, you know. And so those moments where where something is elevated to um, to a place where you couldn't have imagined it it going or making it happen on your own, and then so those those are a couple of examples of when I felt that. When someone has written as many songs as you have, is it at all bothersome in any way when someone says something like, oh yeah, 
Wayne Kirkpatrick, he's one of the change the world guys. No, that doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> I'll take that any day. I'm very happy to be one of those guys and and be um connected to that to that song and to the the other guys that that I wrote it with. And um yeah, that I mean that song uh that song changed my life in a lot of ways, you know. It, so yeah, I have no problem with that. I mean, I have to say, it was uh, a day or so after I had interviewed Gordon Kennedy. Yeah. And I was cruising through the radio, and I heard the first few notes of Change the World. And just as somebody who just interviewed one of the writers, it kind of gave me a little rush. Yeah. (laughs) So what's it like for you when you're either in a mall or at a restaurant or in your car, and you think, gosh, this sounds like a song I wrote. Oh, wait, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I have been in a car, you know, or somewhere in Home Depot or something. It's like, this song sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? And it's like, oh, yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> I, have had, I have had those moments, you know, because it's not like I sit around and listen to everything that I've, I've done every day. You know, you kind of work on something and then move on to the next thing. So, for it to come back, you know, it takes a minute for it to, um, for me to realize why it sounds familiar. But it's always, I mean, even I always think back to um, just being that shy kid sitting in my bedroom trying to write songs and imagine if somebody would ever want to record something that I wrote. And then, so I, I kind of always go back to that in my mind and, and just have that, you know, Who'd have thought I'd be standing in Home Depot and hear, hearing Bonnie Raitt singing something that I wrote? You know, it's um, it's kind of it's it's always a little bit surreal to me. Has there been a recording artist in particular that you were in awe of the fact that they were recording one of your songs? Um, well, uh, all uh, all we uh, sure Eric Clapton, Bonnie Raitt, and Amy Grant. To name a few, yeah, those are, um, I guess, um, those those artists are in a league that I don't consider myself to be in, you know, and um, so to, to think that they saw something in something that I wrote that that was worthy enough to be added to their their roster, you know, is is pretty thrilling to me. It seems like you place importance on humility. <laughs> well, I think it's important to keep everything in perspective. Hmm. Yeah. Well, with that said, how important do you think it is when you're undertaking music or theater or anything like that to be confident? It, well, I think it's I think it's probably important to be confident or appear confident. But I, I find it hard to maintain confidence because, and I, you know, when you really talk to, well, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people. I, I don't know if it's consistent or not. It seems like all the people I talk to, there's everyone just below the surface is incredibly insecure about their abilities, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I don't know 
I've, I've tried to figure out how to determine why that is about myself because I have been surrounded by incredible, incredibly supportive people, whether it would be growing up my parents or my family, my friends, you know, I've, I've gotten, I've, I've been supported, supported by so many people. And yet when I, you know, am working on something and are presenting something, there's always that element of, I don't know if I'm good enough, you know, and I don't know why that is, but I know that I, I've, at least for me, I feel like if I ever lost that, then the quality would go with it. You know, if I ever thought that I was, I was way better than anybody else in the room, then it's over. So I embrace the torture <laughs> of, uh, of questioning everything that I create so that it keeps me on my toes. And it's not, and it is, it is a genuine, <laughs> it is genuine insecurity, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a false sense of insecurity. I mean, I think, um, I think there's always someone that can, can do, do something better. And, and I think there are times when there are people that can do, do things worse. I do acknowledge that, you know, and so all I can do is, is just try to keep pushing myself to do the best that I can be. And I don't, I don't really care about being the very best in the world as much as I care about being the best that I can be, you know? Hmm. As we were mentioning at the beginning of the interview, you're one of the co-composers of Something Rotten. Right. The musical. When you were in the formative stages, or anywhere really, uh, in the process of the writing, the conceptualizing, were you at all thinking about critics, about reception? Not early on, no. We were just thinking, me and my brother both had for years, uh, because he was in theater too in high school, and um, we just have always wanted to write a musical. And my brother's a screenwriter. And, you know, thinking about what other people would think about it was not really on our minds as much as just this this desire to write a musical, which we talked about doing and tossed around ideas for about 15 years before we actually said, okay, if we're ever going to do this, we need to sit down, carve out time, and do it, you know. So, so it, and there wasn't like, you know, when you're creating something like that, uh, that would be detrimental to be thinking, oh, what are other people going to think about this? That's the, that goes that goes for anything. That goes for writing a song, producing a record. I mean, you, as a writer, you have to try to think in terms of what 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 is this going to? How how is this going to? be good for um the the best choices for us in the creative process you know what's going to make the best show what's going to make the best piece of work what so it's it's really all like i said earlier about being in service of the show or you know it's it's just all about creating this thing and and then sure you hope that that people like it i mean but before you ever get to the critics you have to get to the other people that can help you 
make it happen. So it's it's a theater producers, theater director, you know, and all of that. So and then just but but really at its core, it's like, how, how do we create something that we like and then go from there? Worrying about the critics comes on opening night. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the note of opening night, uh-huh. what is that experience like when you've written a piece like that and here it is, world? Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> and the fortunately, with opening night, you have eased into it because by the time you get to opening night... You know, we had we had a month of previews before a live audience, and so that's where you're you're um, you're putting it up. People are coming, buying tickets to see it, and then you're tweaking on it every day. You know, fine tuning it, and you have a month to do that. And of course, before it ever ever got to previews, you're you're um, you're tweaking. We had we had workshops and table reads and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's just an ongoing process. So a month of previews and you've you've fine-tuned it and then you have your official opening night. So you kind of know what to expect as far as an audience reaction by that point. You know, you're you're getting in our case because it's a comedy, you know, you you kind of know where the laughs are falling, you know how people are reacting to certain numbers and all that. So so no big surprises and the beauty of opening night is it's a theater full of um supportive people you know because it's invitation only <laughs> so it's it's a really it's a really great experience after a month of being terrified every night because you're making changes and and trying new stuff out in front of an audience you know so yeah the opening night was really was really fun the 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 nights leading up to it were the ones that were were quite a quite an experience <laughs> every every emotion in the book really from from a nervous terrifying exhilarated you know just and everything in between is it was quite a roller coaster of emotions putting up putting up a musical what is the best thing about being wayne kirkpatrick hmm i don't know <laughs> I've never been asked that question, I don't think. Probably it has nothing to do with music. I would say um my family. You know, having a great family. I have a great wife that I have we've been together since we went to high school together. So and then I have three great kids that are all grown now. My youngest one is just graduating college and and they are uh just wonderful not only wonderful kids but wonderful people and to me that's my greatest accomplishment is is three kids that I that I'm proud of one of the great things about communication today is just how we can communicate to people mm -hmm. all over and it's just it's just amazing sometimes who you hear from so this is very open-ended, but for anyone who's listening in, wherever they might be, what would you say to them, just to give you the stage? You mean in regards to in regards to what? In regards to pursuing dreams? I mean, it, 
I'm sure there are people that are listening that want to be in some form of of the creative fields, you know, and maybe feel like they don't have what it takes, you know, or um and and all I can do is is relate that to my own experiences. I I really feel like if I, if I can do it that anybody can because I was I was a a wallflower. I was an incredibly shy introvert growing up and did not really know if I had what it what it took to to do, pursue these dreams that I wanted. And um but if you follow if if you're passionate enough about something then you should follow that as far as you as far as it can take you and you know there's there's no guarantees on on what you come up against and what what kind of success you will have at it but you know everything is such a such a gamble you know you can you can take a route that you feel like is a safer route and i did this too because i wanted to be in music and i wanted to be a songwriter but i went to school and studied landscape architecture and in in louisiana for two almost three years and and one day it was like you know what i don't i don't want to be a landscape architect and i was doing that as something to fall back on which is the which is the wrong way to go about pursuing your dreams and your passions you know you you have to kind of give yourself over to them and in order for for them to to work themselves out and so for me and this is you know I'm not saying this is advice for someone I'm just I all I can speak to is my own experiences but to me I had to I had to surrender to the um this burning desire that I had to to pursue and see if I could make something of this this musical passion that I had and so I packed up my car and and moved to Nashville and I was like I'm going to go see if I can either hang with the big boys or get sent home with my tail between my legs but either way at least I know that I yeah, I gave it a try. So 30 years from then, I didn't want to be sitting around going, I wonder what would have happened if I had just done this, you know. So either way, even if I failed, I would know the answer to that. And, you know, we we all, we just, we have the shots that we are given and, and, and the chances that we take. And um, so it's what I've told my kid, you know, it's it, if you're going to fail, you know, fail at something that you loved. Hmm. Because if you if you go down a you go down a road that is like, well, I I played it safe, and what, even if it's like I'm, you might be making a ton of money or you know all this, but if you're not, if it's not fulfilling, then I just think you're kind of denying yourself a certain bit of happiness that you might you know, and happiness does not equate to always equate to how much money you make or or you know anything like that but it's just that you're a, if your your soul is nourished you know and i think it's some um, especially when you're young to um to be able to take those chances and pursue them where you can that's a long-winded way around saying that but but i had to process that question as i was 
answering it. So, Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to connect with you. Yeah, likewise. I appreciate it. Looks like a very nice studio. Oh, well, it's an old house that has was converted into a studio, and it's been my studio home for quite a while, so it's my safe place. <laughs> I should have thought about maybe asking you to play something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed talking to you. All right. Nice talking to you, too. All right. Well, until next time. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Have a wonderful one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. <laughs>